Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 228, Top 10 Dexterity Games. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Anthony, we are back with another action-packed episode talking about the top 10 dexterity games, a category which we fiercely debated and yet somehow decided to do the podcast anyway. Yeah, somehow we got off on a weird tangent about table tennis and actual sports. And I said, hey, if you have to stand up, it's not a board game. So (laughs) this is how we got our 10. You don't have to stand up, although half of these games you end up standing up anyways, but you don't have to. So these are these are our top 10 dexterity games. Yeah, I think we have a little bit of a challenge here trying to define these things and board gaming and tabletop gaming and card games. They tend to kind of blur the line, so to speak. So ping pong and billiards and air hockey and foosball. There's games and they're on tables and they're dexterity, so to speak. So Before the episode's over, we will solve this mystery and many other mysteries that have been challenging you throughout your life by the end, because it's a board game podcast, and somehow it does all those things. Or it will not do any of those things, and you will tell us that, and we will have to sift through all your emails and messages, (laughs) and get a little sad. Yeah. Well, you know, when we're not covering board game, we are covering the deep and disturbing existence that is humanity. But nonetheless, let's get on to a fun filled episode about board gaming. Anthony, everybody wants to hear about their favorite part. Obviously, all the board games we're talking about, but especially the board games they won this week. Let's tell them about our Patreon contest. Yes, sir. We have a winner, of course. Last week's contest was a series of components from different games called Show Me the Money. So it was different types of money components from eight different games. I upped the ante a little bit, went to eight instead of six this week, just because I felt like the money would be a little bit easier. And I was right, because four people got all of them. And the the new rules here is let us know that you have it and then send me a private message that you have it, like with the list of everything. And so four different people got it. Amy... Congratulations, you got it first, and you're going to love this. You got it by about 45 minutes. Because <laughs> second place was right behind you, but you did beat them. Amy got all eight of the games. We had the Iron Clays from Brass. We had Terraforming Mars, A Feast for Odin, The Money There, Orleans, The Voyages of Marco Polo, Five Tribes, Seven Wonders, or Seven Wonders Duel, and Dinosaur Island or Dinosaur Island Duel. It is, or Duelasaur Island, I guess they call it something silly like that. But the, uh, uh, again, we had, it's unlike the last few where nobody got all of them. This time we got somebody who got every single one of them. And they were the first of four different people to do that. Uh, I also want to give a, a shout out to Andrew, who last week actually got five out of six of the green and blue contest but we missed that somehow it got lost in my email so shout out to andrew who actually did get a little bit higher than the next person who did take over my prize last week i'm gonna reach out to you andrew you're gonna get something as well um so yeah it's it's pretty cool we're getting a lot of people contributing entries a lot of different 
uh, guesses on our contest of the week. Some people will come in on like Friday and they're like, this is what I got. And then like Monday at 730, they're like, here's the rest. Dump them in. <laughs> so congrats to everybody who did that. Um, unfortunately, Amy got all of them on Friday. So <laughs> if you did that, you were a little bit behind, but she did really, she really jumped out and got all of those. So congrats. So I, it sounds like you're really enjoying this contest, kind of putting our listeners through the hoops. Is everybody else enjoying this as well? It seems like it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of good feedback so far. A lot of people are really having a lot of fun with it. I haven't heard anybody who's like, I, okay, that's not really true. Some people have said, this is too hard. I don't know any of these games. Uh, I'm trying to find the right balance here of like, these are difficult, but also you have a chance to have played these and or can look them up. So this last one was, it was pretty solid. A lot of people really jumped in on it and just generally all around, everybody's having a lot of fun with this, just digging in, looking up different games, presumably asking their friends and their family and other gamers on BGG, which components these are going to keep doing it. It's a lot of fun. I have fun getting the entries and most of them are right, but occasionally they're wrong. And then I'm like, Oh yeah, I can see why you think it's that when it's really that. Uh, it's pretty cool. All right. So we want everyone to join us on patreon.com backslash BGA. It helps keep the podcast running and helps bring more content. Don't forget, there's a lot of other great things on the channel, not just winning games, but we have extra Patreon backed episodes. We have our Slack channel where you can jump in with us. And we really would like to add more content to our Patreon account. So please let us know what you'd be interested in, maybe playing games with us maybe live streaming with us at some point, maybe hearing extra conversation that Anthony and I have before the podcast begins that's super, super deep and heavy and has nothing to do with board games, but maybe if it's of some interest to you. So let us know, and of course, reach out to us. All right, Anthony, so that's what's going on with our Patreon account. What's going on with our listeners? What's our question of the week? All right, question of the week. Is there a game or series of games you've always avoided because it seemed too difficult to dive into because of rules or cost or scope? So I have a very easy answer to this one. I have a feeling you might have the same answer. Uh-huh. So what is that? Let's see how we get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. So let's run through the listeners real quick. we got Mark who says, Warhammer, love the models and the idea, but not the cost of entry. Shane also mentioned Warhammer, Age of Sigmar, and 40K. Great game, but the rule books regularly make obsolete changes. Uh, stat cards are not included. The models, I don't feel like assembling them. A lot of people mentioned Warhammer. Uh, Willie mentioned Gloomhaven and the fact that it's so big and he doesn't really love co-ops in general. We have Chris, who mentions Mage Knight. Took it out of the library of a local game store, saw the two really big manuals, and decided, you know what? No. <laughs> he also mentioned Lord of the Rings, the LCG. And a few people mentioned this just because there are so many packs out at this point. I think it's up to 50 that you're just instantly behind. I'm instantly behind. I've been collecting these for a few years and I'm still behind by like 30. So I understand that one. We have Eric who mentions Kingdom Death Monster due to the cost. Just purely the cost. It's very expensive. Guillerme and Eric mentioned the LCGs. Same problem. Rika mentions Too Many Bones. Looks so fun, and I hear a lot of great things about how great it is solo, but I'm just not getting enough information. It's so expensive, $530 in the last Kickstarter, Kickstarter to get all of it. It's just so much stuff. So 
I'm going to leave the last one here for our friend Tim, who we've mentioned before, Tim Harima. 18 double X. This is mine. This is the one I've avoided. I have yet to play an 18 double X game, except the one really short 18 double X game we played way, way, way back when, like five, six years ago now. I've just avoided all of them. I've had several people tell me, oh, you have to get into these. I've really gotten into them. They're great. They're heavy. They're fun. You know, just, I, I just, I can't do it. I don't know why. <laughs> I look at them on board. I hear the, re- you know, people describe them and there's just so many possible ways in which to get lost in the complexity or to get, basically lose the game in the first 20 minutes of a four hour game. That's mine. I had a feeling that would also be yours, but maybe not. What do you think? Well, I mean, the 18 double X games have been a mountain <laughs> that I've constantly keep looking at and going, yeah, I'm going to do that at some point. And surprisingly enough, as you know, I have a lot of friends out here who are big 18 double X fans, but I've just never took that step forward. It's not the game so much that keeps me away. It's just the time investment and just doesn't look so great but it's it's typically the time (laughs) the game systems that typically keep me away that i always kind of want to dip my toe in and really push me back more than the 18 double x is pretty much war games i i see them all the time especially now that there's a lot of reprints out there of all these really famous games where you have these little chits they have all these different numbers and calculations and you have to refer to books to see how you hit and you know, is there armor? What works against a certain armor class and things like that? And the historical portrayal of those types of events and how they play out and how you kind of manage your teams and things like that is really interesting. And I play real-time strategy games. So I'm like, wow, that's something I'd be really interested in. But the complexity of just playing that type of game just has keep me away from anything like that. I mean, I have a good amount of Memoir 44, but that's in no way a war game. Obviously, you have 878 Vikings and, and things of that nature, which is a little bit more, but still not even close. So, yeah, I think for me, it's going to be the war games even more than the 18 double X games. Yeah, it, it's hard for me because how do you define a war game? You know, I've played some games that some people would consider war games and others would not. But the really, really in-depth ones that take, you know, five, six hours, and the rule book is 50 pages, and it's divided by like 8.1, 8.2, 8.3. Those are tough. Those are hard to get out. So I, I definitely hear you on that one. Yeah, it's it's tough, but you know, there's a huge community behind it, so it's always kind of intrigued me uh, a little bit more than the 18 X, which as I said, is way off in the distance. Alright, so that's our question of the week. If you would like to jump in on the conversation, it's happening all the time. Please jump on to facebook.com backslash BGA. We're almost at those big round numbers. Jump in the conversation there. Twitter, our guild on Board Game Geek doesn't get a lot of love. Our YouTube channel's there if you'd love to listen to the episodes there and comment. And of course, BoardGamersAnonymous.com, a tremendous amount of content there that I guarantee you, you have not seen yet. So jump all over to these different spots. Tell us what you think about these great games or tell us what games you haven't got a chance to play yet. All right, Anthony. So that's going to be everything from our listeners for this week. Let's get on to the episode. And of course, let's talk about the games that we want to hit the table. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. Yeah, yeah, I 
I'm actually coming in at a weird angle this week. Um, I had a game. I pushed it to next week. And this week, I want to talk about Tiny Forming Mars. This is a game that is self-published by Michael Bevilacqua. <laughs> so, Michael, feel free to <laughs> chime in and tell us that I'm wrong, because I'm sure I am. Um, but Michael has done several different self-published games over the last like 10 years. He's done Micro Rome, Deity, GOP Nominee, On the Farm, Terror, sorry, Tiny Forming Mars. I keep wanting to say Terraforming Mars. Tiny Forming Mars is his newest, and it takes the idea behind Terraforming Mars and scales it down to a one to two player game with nine cards in which you are similarly trying to build up the heat, oxygen, and water on the planet with very, very, very simplified rules. The game takes about 45 minutes or so. You can play it solo, but it seems to be primarily designed for two player. It is not as light as you think it would be uh, for a 45 minute two player game. But at the same time, it is much lighter than terraforming Mars at no place in this. Is it say this is terraforming Mars, but for two players, but it really is, you know, it's, it's one of those weird gray areas in board gaming where clearly this is designed to be like a pared down version of that, but there's no like official representation of that. The, The goal here is to get two of the three parameters done, generate all the things you need, get to the last generation of the game and see who has the highest score. I'm generally interested in this. Like if Stronghold and or Frixelius picked this up and said, hey, we want to make this an official version of Terraforming Mars, add the official artwork, maybe a little bit better than the official artwork, <laughs> and put it out there, I'd be all about it. I'm not a big print and play guy. I just I don't have the time or energy to like print things, cut them, mm-hmm. put them together. But if someone printed it and put it in front of me, I'd be super psyched for it. So that's Terraform, Tiny Forming Mars. I'm sorry, I did it again. And it is in the top 10 of the BG hotness right now. And uh, probably for people like me who are super psyched <laughs> for this kind of game. Well, I think his marketing ploy worked perfectly because you keep tripping over it in probably the best way possible as far as he's concerned. Yeah, no, seriously. It's it's very like you see the picture. You're like, oh, it's Terraforming Mars. Oh, I'm sorry. Tiny forming Mars. <laughs> it's just impressive that somebody took all those rules and boiled them down to less than 10 cards sure. and just very, very simplified. In general, people seem to be enjoying it. It's not had a lot of exposure yet, but people are certainly talking about it. So I might print this out. I also know a guy who does a lot of print in place. So maybe I can convince him to do the work and mm-hmm. I can get the cave in. But yeah, it looks cool. You know a guy who knows a guy who knows Michael Belvlawaka? Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get it done. We'll get it done. All right. Well, yeah, that seems really interesting. So keeping with that super tiny micro kind of game, I'm going to talk about the complete opposite, which happens to be, if you know board gaming, it's Dimaka. And this is Dimaka uh, Limited Edition, the new and improved edition of the classic game on German politics, for three to five players, it is currently on Kickstarter, and the campaign will run out on Thursday, July 11th. So when you listen to this, you have a couple more days to go if you want to check this out. My relationship with Demacher is kind of interesting because, you know, getting to board games, you hear about a lot of these Grail games, and you think you'll never see them. And then our friend Dave, and I think he might have even talked about this on the podcast, he was at the board 
Gaming Championships, and they had a copy of this available for auction. And I jumped in, and he was able to pick up a copy for me, which I was amazed by. And then nobody wanted to get involved with it because Demacher has this reputation of being this overwhelming long game about, once again, German politics, and nobody has any time to kind of like invest in that type of situation. It has this legacy of being huge and long and complex, but it also has the legacy of being tremendously fun if you like those types of games and really kind of like the granddaddy of the heavy euro. So when I heard that they were reprinting it by Spielworks, I was kind of interested to see what they would have. Now, the Kickstarter, which is currently live, you could check it out. It has Demacher. It is more or less a straight reprint. Now, there is not a lot of information on the campaign itself, which seems a little odd to me. I did check out some of the videos, which are extremely long, because on top of playing the game, they're trying to explain the game. This game will not have the classic version, so to speak, but it will have this I guess, updated version. Now, when they talk about updated, what they're talking about here is instead of four players, you can play up to five, which is insane. And I think Anthony, of all people, the fifth player on a Euro game? What do you have to say about that? There you go. (laughs) I haven't played this game, but just that's my rule, right? I boo this. That's that's the rule. That's that's (laughs) That's the one thing you do in the podcast. There you go. So yeah, Anthony's not a a fan of five-player Euro games, at least unless they're built that way. But uh, yeah, so it's a five-player Euro game, which is problematic because the game itself is very long to begin with. So the idea of having a game that adds another player is just asking for trouble as far as that's concerned. So this game's a little heavy. It's 4.34 out of five on Board Game Geek. It plays 240 minutes, and obviously that doesn't include teaching. But going back to the situation, there's a fifth player. The topics in this game or the you know voting issues that you're dealing with are modernized, so they're not antiquated as, as they were with the original version way back in 1986. But to be honest with you, I don't understand why that would make an issue because I, I got to believe many of you out there are not really that interested in German politics, but you might be interested in a very good game. So whether you have the classic version, um, which is obviously out of print now, or you are interested in picking up the new version, German politics, heavy, crunchy Euro game is probably the best way I could describe this. It's about the German political system. It's one of those games that you really have to dive into to actually experience and understand that you're dealing with all these party issues and you're dealing with the media and there's money involved and there's shadow candidates and there's polls and basically everything about politics that is exciting and boring at the same time. But if you're a wonk and you love, you know, political issues and political games, Demacher is now out there on Kickstarter check it out i didn't realize this was on kickstarter yet and so i have gone to kickstarter uh-huh since you mentioned this uh-huh. and i have absolutely backed it you've done it again chris Woo! you've <laughs> wasted my money thank you sir 
see, the funny thing is people think this is podcast is for other people. It's just here for me to convince you to buy games. There's only 10 days left. I would have missed it. I wouldn't even known. But then you mentioned it. I knew it was coming. I didn't know they were going to Kickstarter. Well, you know, this is why I have a podcast, man. I'm just, just telling you. I mean, you back you backed at the highest Patreon level, so you get to be on it and hear the stuff as it happens. But, you know. That's true. Yeah, the initial pay for all the expenses level. So. <laughs> hey, I paid for some expenses too, but. No, no, no. It's a shared. <laughs> all right, everyone. So check out those great Kickstarters and even those print and plays. Uh, the great thing about board gaming, it has a lot of creative, inventive, dynamic types of ways of having fun. And uh, you should check all of them out. All right, Anthony, so that's it from our acquisition disorders. Let's get on to the games that are hitting the table. And we are going to let you know if those games are a buy and you should run out and buy them. If those games are a play and you should sit down and play them. If those games are a dodge and you should avoid them at all costs. Or if those games deserve the dreaded burn. And we will go ahead and burn those games because they are not worth anyone's time or money. Anthony, what do you have for us this week? Okay, I have for you... Pax Pamir, second edition. Uh-huh. This is the most recent game by Cole Worley. Um, artwork is by Cole Worley, published by Worley Gig Games. So this game was originally published by Sierra Madre. It was co-designed by Phil Eklund and Cole Worley. And based on the fact that the second edition is purely Cole, I feel like he was probably the primary designer on this, and Phil just kind of helped him out. It is a PAX game. It's about strife and combat and the progression of politics in a certain area. But unlike the other PAX games, which tend to be significantly overcomplicated, significantly over just too many rules, honestly, this one is somewhat more accessible. Uh, The weight is 3.75. I feel like that's pretty accurate. Uh, The game time has been under two hours every time I've played it, even with five players, which doesn't actually, you know, it doesn't scale appropriately. Uh, Like with three players, I think we played in like, I don't know, 80 or 90 minutes. With five players, it was just like right at two hours, maybe a little bit above. And therefore, it's really tight, but it's also extremely, extremely combative there's so many things going on here there's so much interaction there's so much combat there's so many things that just like push and pull and it just really works so incredibly well for what it does so let me just run through real quick how the rules work i'm not going to give you like a huge like rules overview because it is a tableau building game but i should give you a pretty quick overview how the game generally works regardless of the number of players there are three factions there are the afghans the british and the russians everybody's going to be aligned with one of these factions these factions are going to be on the map and the map is not related to individual players it's related to these factions Throughout the game, you can switch factions pretty much whenever a card comes up or an action comes up that allows you to do so. So you're not really aligned with any one faction. You can do whatever you really want to do. And what this is doing is it's simulating the kind of 1800s general flow of history and and politics that happened after the collapse of the Durrani Empire. This is like Pax games in general are very heavily based on history. This one is about how you know, the Durrani Empire collapsed, the Afghans are trying to hold their own land, the British are coming in, the Russians are coming in, everybody's fighting over this space, 
it doesn't really have a lot of economic value, but where it's located, just centrally located between all these different countries, all of these different factions want control. And you can come in and just shift factions and switch gears and just be part of whatever you want to be. And the the goal here is there are four specific cards that come out in the tableau and the tableau of cards you can purchase will rotate through this huge deck of cards you build based on how many players there are. There are only four of them. When they come out, they're available to purchase or when they reach the end of the row, you can't, they just automatically play themselves. These are dominance check cards. If somebody has clear dominance over the map, meaning they have four more pieces on the map than anybody else, then they're going to score five points. And uh, second place with that faction will score three, et cetera, et cetera. The maximum score in this game is only 20 points. It's really, really tight. It's very, very, very tightly managed um, from start to finish. If nobody has that, if the dominance check is unsuccessful, then you just go to whoever has the most of their own specific tokens out on various cards and maps and um, different effects. They're going to get three points if they're in the lead, or if it's a tie, they get two points. So the effect of this is the score is exceptionally low, which can be kind of a hit to your self-esteem. Or, you know, if you perform well and you get like seven points in this huge game, you're like, hey, I'm doing pretty good, (laughs) right? Just for reference, my last game, I won it with five points. Second place had five points. Third place had a five points. And fourth place had four points. So it's very, 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 very close. Uh, Fifth place in that game had zero points. But as you can tell, it's in a huge gap between zero and four. So the game is, it's a push and pull. It's almost like a race game where you're just trying to get to the point where you're ahead. Wow, that's high praise from you. I don't think I've heard you talk so highly about a game since uh, Terraforming Mars. Yeah, yeah, I think this, no, I, I think the listeners agree. I think this is the, most hype you've been since terraforming mars and what's surprising is you didn't even go into the whole root connection here because there's a obviously serious connection here and even look and play in some cases all right so let's talk about another fantastic game and its new re-implementation this is lorenzo Menefico, the recent kickstarter that included a digital version of the game on steam and also included a number of different physical cards that come in the game. I'm talking about the digital version that just went out to backers. I believe it was this morning, but I got a previous early review copy, I think the day before, which gave me about, let's say about 12 hours to kind of play through the game. Now, what can I say about the game that we haven't already talked about? Anthony and I love the game, the board game, fantastic tableau builder, an immense number of cards, so a lot of different ways to score victories. And basically, the game comes down to this kind of Italian renaissance where the families are getting involved and you're collecting resources and you're dealing with the church and you are harvesting resources and you are moving the workshop to kind of generate additional points and coins. But primarily, the game is a tableau builder. So basically, you go over to the different areas of these columns and you're going to be paying for these cards. You add them to your tableau. They do a number of different things. Green cards generate harvest. Yellow cards generate 
basically gold and money and resources. And then blue cards are these portrait cards. They're going to give you special abilities and purple cards are typically about victory points. It has an expansion, which is a fifth player expansion. All right. So there is the exception that proves the rule. So nonetheless, you've heard us talk about Lorenzo. We love the game. It's a fantastic game, a little muddled from time, a little fiddly from time to time, but it's a really great game. So we were very excited about the Kickstarter. Anthony and I both backed it individually, and we have the digital version. And the digital version is a bit of a nightmare here. And there are a lot of reasons for this. And I think there's a lot of good intentions that went into creating this digital version for Steam. First off, the designers clearly wanted to incorporate more story and more ambiance, more atmosphere to the game than you do with the board. Now, the board's pretty beautiful. The cards are really nice. The artwork is pretty fantastic. So I generally don't have a problem with the game itself on really any level. This, what we're looking at here in the background, you have, I guess, the church. You have the St. Peter's in the back. And you have the towers once again in this kind of like brick gray building. And then you have two other more or less gray buildings, one a little bit off yellow and one straight gray. And those two buildings represent the harvesting, which makes no sense because it's more forest space, but let's go on. And the workshop, which once again, it looks really generic. And then when you click on either one of those buildings, a gondola will come out and it will show what resource cards you picked up and then you're able to activate. Okay. You got the church in the back, the two weird buildings in the front on the left side. On the right side, you have all of the areas that the cards would go. But the cards, where they go on the right, which is the main part of the game as far as selecting the cards, and the resources that you can select, which are now kind of like pushed away in the back middle, are all represented by different icons. And I don't mean typically the icons you see in the game, although there is some familiarity with those but nonetheless there are somewhat different icons so when you look at the board itself here what's supposed to be a board it's actually now a different representation here of the screen it's very very difficult it's a very very difficult game to manage uh on the left side you have your dice or your family members in this case and the artwork there is a little offsetting. It's a little uncanny valley in some cases. It doesn't really go with the rest of the game, but it's a very large part of your board. So it's problematic when you select cards, they go into like a shelf with books. So you don't get to see the tableau in front of you. And you have icons that represent everything else in the game. So just to recap, Lorenzo and Menefico is a game in which it's a tableau builder. You're selecting these cards that give you special abilities. You add it to your own tableau. You activate your tableau and you get stuff. This digital version, this abstraction, this attempt at creating some atmosphere has unfortunately, in very large part, kind of complicated, corrupted, and made a really uh, miserable experience for me. Now, the designers have mentioned that even though the game is now out, it's still somewhat in a beta version, although it's out to all backers. So I feel fairly confident in reviewing this game, having 
attempt to play it several times. It has crashed on me. I've had problems with this. It is available to purchase on Steam, so you will have an opportunity to purchase this. I would highly recommend not purchasing it. I love the game. It is a hard, hard dodge. And the only reason why it's not a burn is because it's still in beta. So on the off chance that something else might change, which I do not see happening, it is the hardest of dodges I can offer to you. If you love the game, stick with the game. If you want a digital version of it, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, if you're really looking forward to having more Lorenzo Menefico in your life, there's going to be a card version, the Masters of Renaissance, Lorenzo Menefico, that's going to be coming out at some point, maybe later this year. So wait for that. That seems infinitely better than this. And as Anthony and I both have played this game separately, uh, we both can attest, avoid at all costs, check back six months to a year later, See if anything has radically changed. If it hasn't, then continue to avoid the game. I don't know if you want to burn your computer, but if you're a big fan like Anthony and I are, you might actually want to consider doing so. It's just, maybe it shouldn't be a a burn so much as a blue screen of death (laughs) rating for this. There you go. So Anthony and I gave this a tentative blue screen of death award. (laughs) Oh, jeez. All right, Anthony, we are finally done with the Hara, that is the Lorenzo Menefico digital version of the game. Let's get on to some games that can't really hurt us because they're not bad, although they are pretty crunchy and heavy, so they, maybe they could actually hurt us in some cases. Let's get to our feature review. So for our feature review today, we are talking about the top 10 dexterity games. This is a category that we tend to touch upon, but we don't really linger too much on. Dexterity games are a unique class of board games themselves you know we we talked a a little bit earlier on and we joked about it but there is some discussion to be had about what you know is a tabletop game And, and especially when you're considering dexterity games there's a lot of other games out there but for this episode of course we are talking about what we tend to think about when we think about dexterity games especially dexterity or dexterity games that typically are all about building really cool stuff in order just to knock it down. All right, number 10 on my list is a game I picked up at Gen Con a few years ago for my kids, specifically. It is Go Cuckoo. Pretty, pretty good hit at my house. In the game, you have a cylinder that in which you place a number of sticks, and each stick has multiple colors on either side. So you have red, blue, yellow, maybe green. And the goal is to pull out sticks multiple times per your turn until you get one that has the same color on both sides. And then you place that across the cylinder to kind of build out a nest where you can place eggs. You have a certain number of eggs. You place them out. You're trying to get rid of all your eggs. If they fall in, you take somebody else's eggs and they get a little bit further along. So... It's it's kind of a dexterity game in a certain way, but also a push-your-luck game in a certain way as well. I have a lot of fun with it. the kids. They both love it. We've played it dozens of times. I don't know how it plays, honestly, with older adults, but uh, it, it works really well with, uh, you know, like 5 to 12-year-olds. So well worth checking out if you have children. Go Cuckoo. All right, so our number nine game is Ice Cool. 
we've talked about this game a lot. It's really interesting because first off, the box itself kind of like flips open and you construct the actual ice cool board, which is this school that's made of ice in which you have these penguins and three of the penguins are out there trying to get an early lunch and get these fish that are in the rooms. And one of the penguins is a whole monitor that's trying to catch the other penguins. So you're basically flicking these really kind of interesting little penguins that depending on the flick, you're going to get some really interesting movement out of the penguins. For some reason, kids kind of own this game. They just happen to flick things perfectly. Whereas adults, for some reason, it's a little more problematic. You're shooting your penguins throughout the school into these openings, trying to avoid getting captured. And that's pretty much it. It's ice cool. It's fun. It's cute. And uh, it's been enjoyed by a lot of people. I've had it out there. Absolutely. And ice cool too kind of tweaks the formula a little bit, uh, but also lets you combine it a little bit. So I love it. Number eight is flip ships. Uh, flip ships and renegade games. In this game, you are f- quite literally placing a ship on a cylinder, flipping it and trying to blow up other ships in a tableau that's in front of you. Uh, there's also a mothership way out there that you're trying to hit. It's a big like bucket, basically. Uh, you get bonus points based on how many times you've been hit. So the more damage you take, the more ships you have available, the more abilities you have available. But also, if you run out of hit points, quote-unquote, uh, you lose the game. I love this game. It was a lot of fun. We played it... Uh, just a couple of months ago at the uh, game that we had in New Jersey. And it was it was quite a lot of fun. We barely, barely, barely won the game, I think by like one or two flips. But it's it's quite a fun game that really works for like older gamers because it's decently difficult. So it's flip ships at number eight. Number seven is Meeple Circus. Now, you've probably played some form of Meeple Circus previously because you probably have a lot of meeples and you probably have stacked them up and around with all the other different pieces. Well, Meeple Circus actually gives you an incentive in doing that. In Meeple Circus, there are a number of different types of meeples as far as circus performers are concerned. There's also a number of different instruments that they work with. So there's planks, there's boards, there's animals that come into play. And depending on how you stack up all of these different meeples and different pieces, you will score points. There's special abilities in the game as well. And the final round comes down to being super wacky. And there's also a timer and some musical accompaniment that come along with the app. So Meeple Circus, a lot of fun, very inventive. And that's our number seven. Number six, another favorite for my children, is Animal Upon Animal. In this game, you have several different flavors and types and shapes of animals everybody gets a certain number of them based on the number of players and then you roll a die and it determines whether you place an animal or someone else place an animal or you place multiple animals or you place someone next to an animal and really the goal is to go and tell you have more animals than someone else you're trying to get rid of your animals but at the same time manage it in such a way that the other player doesn't necessarily beat you in the fact so Animal upon animal, like it's really good for children because you can scale it, you can manage it. It's a hobby game, of course, if the rules are a little bit mutable in certain ways, but 
you can also play with adults and it's a lot of fun and there's several different ways to play it there's miniature versions there's macro versions with like giant animal plant animal there's expansions for the game as well i've played this with lots of different people we still play this to this day even though i've played it for about four years now with my son since he was four years old he still has a lot of fun with it so animal animal is number six number five is terra in Meeple City, or formerly known as Rampage. Now, Meeple City, as you would imagine, is a city of meeples. And in fact, not only are the residents, and there's a number of different colored meeples in the game, there's blue journalists, green military, yellow blondes, gray old people, and red heroes, and black businessmen, but they are also part of the structures. So when you build up the city initially, the meeples will be part of the structural integrity of the different buildings, and then you'll have your monster. Your monster wood token allows you to do a number of different things throughout the game. Primarily, you're going to be dropping it to knock down buildings. You're going to be using it to breathe on the town to knock things over, toss vehicles, and just cause a really, really big mess. Now, your other competitors will be battling with you. You'll have your own little monster board with teeth that represent your life. And the object is to get as many of those different color meeples as possible without kicking them off the board because then you're just wasting people and no one likes it. It's fun. It's dynamic. It's crazy. It's ridiculous amounts of setup, but it's really what any kind of good dexterity game that's our number five terror maple city my kids love this game so i just had to throw that in there number four is catacombs catacombs is a funny game because it came out a long long time ago like eight years ago got a little bit of hype but not a ton came out in a second edition again a little bit of hype but not a ton third edition and now everybody's clamoring for this game uh, you have one player who's the overseer marshalling all these different armies of monsters and creatures, all these things facing off against various number of heroes who are going in a quest to save the town that's represented in the game. You're flicking stuff back and forth. They represent damage and spells and missiles and other special abilities. And it's just honestly, it's one of the best uh, dexterity games around. It's just hard to find. It's a little bit more in-depth to get into because there are a lot of pieces, there are a lot of stickers to place on there. The player level, like, it's honestly probably like a 10-year-old and up, and the game is relatively expensive. So I would say it's not the most accessible game to find, but it is definitely one of the better dexterity games on the market. That is Catacombs 3rd Edition. All right, so number three is, I would, uh, I'm going to guess a world famous game. It's in a lot of cultures and it's been around since primarily about 1876. The dexterity game of all dexterity games, so to speak, the grandfather of them all, Crokinole. Now, you may recognize Crokinole from its really unique and dynamic wood structure. It's a big round circle with an inner circle got a couple of pegs rounding another circle and right in the middle there is yet another circle and your job because the game is all about circles is to take little circular discs and flick them and the object is very much shuffleboard-esque because if there's no discs out there you're trying to get in the middle if you don't it's removed if there's another disc out there you're trying to knock it out and get your way to the center so the more discs you have in the center, the more points you score. If you drop in the right middle, 
you get a lot of points and you remove it immediately. Crokinole is a fantastic game. Definitely expensive, especially if you want to get a high quality board. It's on the board game top 100. If you do get a chance to play Crokinole, you should absolutely check it out. That's our number three. All right. Number two is Junk Art. So I had two possible choices from Pretzel Games. We have Junk Art and uh, Flick 'em Up. Junk Art is the one that comes out way more often. This is a game in which you have a big pile of different pieces separated by color. And each of the colors has the same number of pieces and then a separate set of cards that represent each of those pieces. But the box comes with multiple different rule sets. So you can set it in a certain way where like, all right, well, the first person to build this particular combination or this particular lack of combination or this particular number of sets or whatever it might be. So you can set up the different combinations based on the age of the players, the number of the players, the length of the game you want to play. And so you can have things like, okay, get the highest number of pieces, regardless of color, the highest number of pieces specific to color, the number of pieces that represent this color in this particular pattern. It's such a good game, and it just really scales to almost any player number, any particular number of, you know, different types of, you know, levels of experience, depending on the type of game you're playing. So much variability here, depending on how you want to play the game. I really, really enjoy this game. And I could play it with my eight-year-old. I could play it with my four-year-old. Flick them up. It's good, but it doesn't have that kind of flexibility from like four up to infinity. Junk Art has that flexibility, and it's really been a consistent, regular game that hits the table a lot, both with my children, with my family, with my relatives, and with my regular gamer friends. So Junk Art is number two. And now our number one dexterity game. It is a challenging and a difficult choice, but the dexterity game that people keep coming back to time and time again, the dexterity game that has seemingly infinite numbers of expansions and combinations of play is, of course, Pitch Car. Pitch Car is a fantastic game all about racing, and you can construct a number of different tracks using all of these really interesting and innovative track mechanics in which you are allowed to, you know, swing around, jump, and actually go down straightaways all by flicking a little round disc that represents your car. There are ways to bank, there are ways to knock other cars out, and there are ways in which you'll actually knock yourself out of the game. It's fun, it's fantastic, it's frantic throughout the way. It is a crowd pleaser. You can play with a large number of people and all you really have to do is flick it because you're going to have that track there. Everyone can play, everyone can enjoy it. It's something that you can build as time goes on. High quality pieces. That's why our number one game is Pitch Car. All right, so that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll see if you all a seat at the table.